Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of fat Nixon to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this Christmas week is the argument from authority. Yeah, so this would probably more accurately be called the argument from improper or false authority. Because okay. it's, it's OK to invoke authority if that authority is actually a genuine uh, expert, an authority in the particular area that you're talking about. So the fallacy here is where people invoke authorities that are either objectively not reliable or trustworthy, or they are authorities but not necessarily at the subject you're talking about. So a really common version of this is the appeal to celebrity, which is why Smart Water gets Jennifer Aniston to to tell us that she uses it and that means that we think that if she uses it we should drink it and if if you know Kendall Jenner is is on the Pepsi adverts and and even if she did yeah. drink it that doesn't necessarily make it a better soft drink uh, for us yeah so but there's also the implication that we would end up like somehow her. yeah somehow rub off some of that celebrity yeah um yeah and Trump obviously yeah. uses his own celebrity as as part of his yeah. appeal, people basically yeah, yeah. a probably a large section of the, the American public voted for him because he was already famous because they knew who he was it's from the, the Apprentice and things like telly. that. Telly, yeah. And if you're famous, yeah, yeah, then yeah. obviously that must mean you have some authority. You you have some reason for people to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. Well, whereas actually, it just means that you've got lots of currency and people recognise you. So perhaps as part of it is, oh, I recognise him. Yeah. I know him. I've heard him before. And I like what he says. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm unaware that Jennifer Aniston plays a character and somebody else writes <laughs> it for her. Um, and possibly the same for Trump. Who knows? Yeah, yeah possibly, certainly on The uh, Apprentice, that was probably the case. Um, but Trump, of course, doesn't just rely on his own celebrity. He also likes to invoke uh, other celebrities from time to time. Tom Brady likes me. What can I tell you? I think so. If Tom Brady likes you, you're in pretty good shape. So this was during the campaign. He was talking about how Tom Brady was kind of endorsing him as president. Tom Brady is, I, I'm sorry to all the people who don't like Tom Brady, he is a great football player. He just is. He's an expert. He's an expert in, in, football. in playing football. He's an expert quarterback, but yeah. doesn't necessarily yeah. know any more than you do about what would make someone a good president. No. And so we shouldn't probably give his opinion any weight when we're deciding who to vote for. Yeah. But that's what's that's what Trump is implying yeah. here, is saying, you know, Tom Brady likes me, therefore you should probably vote for me to be president. Yeah, so because so part of it is rubbing off because Tom Brady, Tom Brady is great, so therefore I must be great. Yeah. If Tom Brady likes me, you know some of that greatness that he has is imparting to me, and you could be like Tom Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady likes me. It's that. Be like Tom Brady and like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like that. But but just for yeah, but yeah, and that kind of short that that steps over the fact that. If you vote for Trump, you don't automatically turn into Tom Brady <laughs> yeah. overnight. You don't become an expert quarterback no. or indeed a handsome guy that Ted 
and Mark Wahlberg in Ted One <laughs> want to steal the sperm from, you know, because they reckon he would be a good father. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at least Tom Brady is an expert in something. He is he is an authority. Um, just not about that. But sometimes people invoke non-experts or non-authorities. And in March of 2016, Trump claimed on Fox and Friends that Ted Cruz's father knew Lee Harvey Oswald. His father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald's being, you know, shot. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. What is this right prior to his being shot? And nobody even brings it up. I mean, they don't even talk about that. That was reported uh, and nobody talks about it. But I think it's horrible. So this is kind of a guilt by association thing. He's trying to associate Ted Cruz through his father to a a negative person. But when he was actually called on to defend these comments, which are completely mad, he invoked an authority. Now, I don't know what it was exactly, but it was a major story and a major publication. And it was picked up by many other publications. So this is something Trump likes to do is like if he's called out on something that he got wrong, he's he says, well, you know, I, I. I read it somewhere or I, I heard about it or lots of people are telling me this. And here he says yeah. it's a major story yeah. in a major publication. The major publication that Trump saw the story in was the <laughs> National Enquirer. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, actually, there's, a, there's an appeal to authority there because it, it, just on the basis that the National Enquirer sells a lot of copies, yeah. you know, it kind of imbu- imbues it with some uh, majority. It is a major publication... Well, yeah, in the in the world of crazy land, it's kind of <laughs> it's an authority in that sense, yeah. yeah. But this is the thing is in terms of news sources, yeah. this is the tabloid that claimed that Judge Antonin Scalia was murdered by a prostitute who was hired by the CIA to assassinate him by injecting poison into his buttocks. Yeah, MediaBiasFactCheck.com describes National Enquirer as the original fake news media outlet that profits by selling fake news. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, it is, well, mind you, it was called upon in Men in Black, the movie, to be the the true reporter of what's gone down. That's true. It kind of yeah. calls it out, says it's terrible, and then uses it as the as a bust of a joke as well, whereas Trump thinks it's a major publication. And he just kind of does that stuff. Well, it was a major, public, a major story run in a major publication, picked up by other publications. Really? Do you think other publications <laughs> actually scour the National Enquirer? They can't wait. They're hanging around by the newsstand. Well, I think it was probably other National publications said, the National Enquirer is saying this crazy shit. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, and and Trump or or Trump has referred to a an article in yeah that's called yeah. picking it up isn't it that's because, yeah Trump has gone crazy again because he thinks the National Enquirer is a, a leading journalistic you know the stuff of Bob Woodward well, you know, well there we go yeah so if you're going to invoke an authority make sure that they're actually an authority in that particular area in question and now is the time, I think, for Mark's British Politics Corner. OK, so this week, my example comes from uh, the Independent Newspaper, which is a fairly authoritative newspaper, a broadsheet in the um, uh, in the UK. And it was published on the 14th of December 2018, so this Christmas. It was uh, an exclusive interview with that well-known political commentator, Paloma Faith, and I assume she's a political commentator because the headline that they ran was Theresa May should step down. She's made a shit show of Brexit. Her career is over. 
So I was think I was uh, beguiled by the fact that she. Um, I didn't know this this branch to Paloma Faith's um, talents, <laughs> and uh, it's a print interview. And I, I suspect there isn't an audio version. I looked all over to see if there was an audio version, and I suspect that I'll be committing a fallacy based on the fact that I'm not convinced by her authoritative tone. But this was uh, so. This I think this is why they haven't published an audio one. This is um, a her doing a trail for an appearance on a radio show a couple of days later. Good morning, everyone. I'm on my way to speak to and sing with Chris Evans on BBC Radio 2. I hope you all enjoy the show. So there you can see the voice, the authoritative tones <laughs> of political commentator Paloma Faith. So she says, you know, she said, Theresa May should step down. She's made a shit show of Brexit. Her career is over. So I'm thinking, well, why have the independent newspaper given her... You know, a fairly a massive amount of space. What makes her an authority? She's got four hundred seventy-one thousand followers on Instagram, five hundred ninety-two thousand on Twitter. She sings a bit like Amy Winehouse. Does that give her the authority to kind of pontificate on uh, political matters, or is it because, as she continues, her partner is a French passport holder, her dad is Spanish, and her mum's English? And she's trying to get dual citizenship for herself, for herself with Spain. And then she says, I don't know if it's possible because we haven't got a deal yet. It's scary. So maybe her political authority uh, uh, is because she's simply like a, an individual affected by Brexit by the rest of us. Um yeah, but this oh, is the thing with the uh, with the appeal to celebrity aspect of it, isn't it? It's, just, it's that celebrities' uh, opinions are more important than everyone else's. <laughs> that's, mm. that's the mm. kind of implication. Mm. Is that um, you know it, yeah. you could they do the vox pops? They go out in the street and talk to the, the regular people, but um, yeah. you know if you could manage to find a celebrity, that's the one that's going to make the news. Paloma Faith also said, uh, even though it's kind of scary, she feels optimistic about the new generation. And she says, young people seem much more clued up and I'm hoping they're going to save it all. So the implication is she isn't clued up herself, in which case, why is she given um, column inches under an overt political headline? Maybe she's not including herself in the not clued up generation or the... the yeah, yeah, section. could be, yeah. Or, or it could be that she's just got a new album out yeah, that might be it. You know, so there, yeah. Think, it could be that yeah. her publicist so, is just um, calling around newspapers saying, have you got anything you'd like Paloma Faith to talk yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in which, yeah, in which case you kind of think, oh, OK, well, what's in the headlines? OK, Brexit. Yeah, let's get her to tell us what she thinks of Theresa May. So my other thought was that the uh, that actually perhaps the independent is doing this kind of meta-satirical thing. What they're saying is that she has no more authority to talk about these things than self-employed entertainers relying on keeping in favour with the public to guarantee an income stream. People like Boris Johnson. So they're doing this kind of sly bit of satire, saying, OK, yes, here's Paloma Faith banging on about these things. She isn't a good authority on which to listen to this, and neither is... <laughs> Boris Johnson, Could who is be. just a shameless media whore, just like Paloma Faith is, you know, without saying as much. Yeah. 
So speaking of which, my second example is, um, I think, knowing that you're an authority is a dangerous thing. And I think Boris Johnson knows that he's an authority and plays on that. Well, let's face it, there's no, he has no reason, he has no skills other than his position of authority to call upon. He's not an expert in anything other than being a politician. I'm a politician, therefore you need to listen to me. Um, so this week, in fact, there'd been a judgment on um, what he said back in August, uh, where he came into for a lot of criticism about a comment on women who wear burqas, which he made in his Daily Telegraph column um, back in August. And it, start, it kind of starts all right. He says, if you say that it is weird and bullying to expect women to cover their faces, then I totally agree. And I would add that I can find no scriptural authority for the practice in the Quran. So you kind of go, oh, OK, yeah. So there you are actually saying there is no authority. I'm trying to appeal to an authority um, about wearing the wearing of practice of wearing burqas and I can find none. Um, so which is pretty good. So he's sounding fairly ministerial, even though he resigned on July the 9th as the Foreign Secretary. But he's still an elected MP. He's a member of the Conservative Party in power. So he's in a position where an authority is implied from what he says. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and I wish he didn't, he says, I would go further and say that it is absolutely ridiculous that people should choose to go around looking like letterboxes. So now he's descended from... If you were to say this, then I would agree too. I'm saying these people look like letterboxes, <laughs> which, as, for, as a person in authority, is, is it's kind just, of amazing. You know, there's a, kind of a lot of implied racism uh -huh, there. A little bit. And there was an inquiry because the Conservative Party's code of conduct states that its representatives, and he was a representative, must support equality of opportunity, diversity and inclusion and encourage and foster respect and tolerance. So on the 22nd of December, an independent panel uh, found his use of language in the column could be considered provocative, but claimed, kind of freedom of speech stuff, that it would be unwise to censor excessively the language of party representatives or the use of satire to emphasise a viewpoint particularly a viewpoint that is not subject to criticism. Another authority came back, which is the, uh, the Muslim Council of Britain, which is a Muslim authority, says, well, he isn't a satirist, he's a member of parliament, and as such, he has a responsibility to set the tone for the rest of the UK to follow. And if the code of conduct says it must be it must foster respect and tolerance, how do... How do these remarks foster respect and tolerance. And, and in fact, on the website, the, the independent page, somebody says, uh, a guy called Andy Frankiefile, uh, on, the, on Christmas Eve says, this is, seems a strange conclusion for a committee to come to, and asks the question, what is the composition of the independent committee? Who paid for it? Were any of its members of a Muslim religion or ethnicity? What were the terms of reference and what procedures did it follow? which makes me think, OK, is that a valid 
and effective counter. Yeah, I think in a way he is uh, in that comment asking for what the authority is, what what uh, what mm. the committee is basing their decision on and whether they actually have any expertise mm. in that area. It seems reasonable mm. to say that there should be people who know, who are either Muslim themselves or know a great deal about Muslim uh, religion and Muslim people to make a judgment on whether that would be disrespectful or intolerant or, you know, upsetting to, to mm. that demographic. Is what the Muslim Council of Britain say, is what they are saying a reasonable thing to say? I think it is. Or is it just that it's difficult to accept the authority of someone with whom one disagrees? That's definitely a factor, yes. I think it is just genuinely difficult for everyone, no matter how hard you try, to objectively um, treat uh, sources with which you agree the same as sources with which mm. you disagree. It is it mm. is absolutely a um, a cognitive bias that exists that people will yeah. will favour more. Yeah, people but that, who agree. But that kind of my fear is that at some stage you've got to accept that there is an authority, and how do you best to do that? Because the thing about the argument for authority is that everything becomes subjective. If you are being intellectually honest, you can accept that some people have a, a level of expertise in a particular in a particular area. Now, that's not to say that if someone is an expert in a particular area, that they're always right. That's also a factor. Mm. Is they mm. they could have they could be an expert. They could be the world's leading expert in something, and still be wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's it's not sensible to say that just because this person says it, it's definitely true. But if um, if they say it and they back it up and they have looked into it and they and you know that they are an expert in that specific area it's more likely to be true um that's yeah. something you can be yeah. fair fairly certain of fallacy a fallacy it's a fallacy in the wild it's a fallacy it's a fallacy a fallacy in the wild very christmasy <laughs> A very Christmassy version there. There we are. Okay, so in the fallacy in the wild, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political point of view. And uh, this week we've got uh, the first example is from a little known, I would say, probably uh, sitcom, which I think it was in the 90s. And it was... Oh, I loved it. Was, it. I've yeah, nearly yeah, every I one loved it. It is great. Yeah, it's yeah. called Dinosaurs. Yeah. And it's a, it's yeah. a live-action sitcom featuring people dressed up as dinosaurs. And it's very much a kind of a family dynamic like the Honeymooners or the Simpsons or the Flintstones. It's that kind of, you know, yeah. brash, yeah. abrasive father and, and kids and a baby and stuff like that. So anyway, it's yeah. very funny. And uh, in one episode, the teenage daughter of the family doesn't believe that the earth is flat and ends up actually getting, getting taken to court for this. And uh, this happens in the courtroom. <laughs> Your Honour... The flatness of the Earth is one of the most hallowed precepts of dinosaur tradition. Yet there are those among us who would require some proof that the world is flat. Fair enough. Let the record show that I now offer absolute and unimpeachable evidence. A guy in a lab coat. <laughs> you are an engineer with lots of impressive degrees. Set is correct. And you work at the We Say So Corporation? That is also correct. The Classroom Globe Division? 
And just what have you brought here to show us today? Only this. <laughs> and we have a warehouse full of these things. Proof enough for you, Missy. Very huh? impressive. That's it, friend. We're in trouble now. Obviously, if a company the size of We Say So throws the full weight of its corporate clout behind the concept of a flat earth, who are we to question? Well, I'm sold. Guilty. <laughs> so, so the prop that the the guy in a lab coat brings into the court is a a flat globe, essentially a, a kind of structure yeah, that is just disc, a, yeah, it's a disc, isn't it? Yeah, so, it's like a desk globe, but instead of a ball, it's just got a <laughs> flat disc with the Earth on you know map on top of it. Yeah, it's brilliant. I want, I so want one of those. <laughs> on my, on that would be desk. great. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah, the lawyer in this case uh, is invoking the authority of the guy in the lab coat, unimpeachable evidence, um, the fact yeah. that he is yeah. a, a a degree, an engineer with lots of impressive degrees, and he works for the We Say So Corporation, which is a big corporation and therefore wouldn't put all of their weight and money behind something which wasn't true. Um, so he's multiple levels of, of argument from authority there, none of which yeah. make it more likely yeah. that actually... The no, world is flat. <laughs> but I love that appeal to, um, here's an unimpeachable level, a guy in a lab coat. <laughs> no one goes, and he's kind of going, well, yeah, that's the basis of all expertise, isn't it? Yeah. 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 There's an XKCD comic yeah. uh, as well where someone in a lab coat is telling someone something ridiculous about the uh, their health and their, their, their medical prognosis and um the caption is you know you can just buy lab coats <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there you go the implication is you wear a white coat you're an expert yeah yeah and you can just buy them yeah so our second example is from fox news and it was when a video game called mass effect came out now if you're a gamer you've probably heard of mass effect and you might know that it's a very kind of sprawling game with lots of decisions that you can make along the way mm. And one of the things about the game was that you could trigger a sex scene. And Fox News were incensed by this. And they, they said it was basically showing sex to children. And, and it's like one of them described it as like Debbie does Dallas in space, <laughs> which is brilliant. Um, and the US uh, Video Games Ratings Board gave it an M for games. It's the, the film equivalent would be an R. So they had on Fox News to talk about this, someone who knew about games and someone who was an expert in child psychology. And here's how they're seeing women. They're seeing them as these as these objects of desire, as these, you know, hot bodies. I mean, they don't they don't show women as being valued for anything other than their sexuality. And it's a man in this game deciding right. how many women he wants to be with. All right, let's get Jeff in on this. All right, that's uh, com go ahead, completely Jeff. incorrect. Yeah, it's completely incorrect. First of all, you can actually play as a man or a woman in the game. Cooper, have you ever played Mass Effect? No. <laughs> so not only has this yeah. person who is commenting on the dangers of this <laughs> game never played the game, she finds yeah. it laughable that she would even be asked yeah. whether she played it or not. Well, yeah, I'm a figure of authority. You don't <laughs> need to actually get me to do the damn yeah. thing you know i know what i'm talking about i don't need to test it but this woman yeah. uh, cooper who's a, a psychologist um she had a book out uh, which was why she was on fox news talking about this um amusingly after this uh, lots of uh, lots of people went to amazon and reviewed her book and said that they right. they it was terrible but they hadn't read it they didn't feel they needed to read it before reviewing <laughs> it <laughs> 
Oh, that's excellent. So, <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> and in this area, I actually, myself, am a little bit of an authority because I was uh-huh. on the team that classified Mass Effect in the UK. And we gave it a 12 in the UK because although there is a sex scene in it, um, all of the hype and all of the scare about how awful this was that they were showing kids sex and you were kind of having a game where you did sex and stuff like that was nonsense. Right. What happened was it's yeah. a very, very immersive game. It's lots and lots of worlds that you can go and explore and do stuff on. And uh, it's about 30 hours or so to play the game from start to finish. And there is a section right. where if you have made various decisions which lead you to have a relationship with another crew member on this ship, then one of the decision trees will lead you down to a, a very mild sex scene where you see a bit of alien buttock and a bit of side boob, and <laughs> and that's it. And then it's over in about oh, 30 right. seconds, and, and then you move on. Right. Um, you can't kind of continually choose to have sex you can't press a button and decide to have sex there's no interactivity in the sex at all you can't we we said at the time right uh, that if you if it was a game where you had sex in the game and you were actually kind of doing some kind of you know interactivity to get them exactly (laughs) that wouldn't have been 12 because no parent wants to kind of walk in and see that their 12 year old Making a character on screen have sex with another character, but that yeah. wasn't the case. It was a it was a video clip. With teddy bears. Yeah, it was a video clip that followed a decision tree that you choose various oh, okay. options yep. uh, on, yep. and it was really really mild. It wasn't an issue for us at all. So yeah, it was yeah. twelve. But this person who was talking about how terrible it was hadn't played the game, so they're not an authority on it. What they are is the kind of the vocal minority. There was a, uh, a a vocal minority called the Festival of Light in the 1970s, run by this particular woman, Mary Whitehouse, who was your archetypal librarian with horn-rimmed glasses who would be upset at a flash of ankle, who would ironically get out all the video nasties and all these all the films. Um, that you wouldn't normally want to watch and then watch them and be upset about yeah. them and then complain about she them. made a real special effort and that to be would... outraged, didn't she, Mary Wales? Exactly, yeah. And that was, you know, that would lead her to write directly to the British Board of Film Censors, your uh, film certificate. I think it was Film Censors still called the time, then, yeah. um, your, your previous employer, and, um, and complain. Yeah, what she would actually do was write to the male, mostly, who would then run stories that said things like, ban this sick filth. And what that resulted in was uh, the Video Recordings Act in 1984, which was, it started because in the early 80s, when video players came along, VHS players, you could actually buy any film, including video nasties and Italian horror films and sex mm-hmm. and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff, just in, in the high street <laughs> with no age restrictions yeah. at all. Yeah. And following 1984 and the Video Recordings Act, that, that meant that somebody had to watch everything and give it a rating. And so she actually quite contributed to the BBFC becoming a significantly more important organisation. And I wouldn't have worked there if not for, if not for that, because they wouldn't have yeah, needed more yeah. than a few people. Oh, there you go. Well, she's something to be grateful for. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if not the sale of horn rim glasses. <laughs> so yeah. I've got another example, which is actually a real world mm. example. Um, oh, and this wow. is because because yeah. uh, it's Christmas, seeing family, and uh, yesterday 
um, went over to my my mum's house and uh, had a chat with my sister, who for some reason the the talk got around to talking about antibiotics and about how you should always finish the course of antibiotics, right. and she said. Well, that's not true. That's not true anymore because um, you, the, they've now said that you, you shouldn't finish the course and you should just stop when you feel better. And I said, well, that, that doesn't sound right. That's not what I've heard and that's not right. what they say generally. And she said, yeah. no, no, it's yeah. true, and looked it up on her phone and, and found an article that said it, that said mm-hmm. this is what's, what's yeah. happened. And she said, and, and I've got a friend who's a nurse who says this is true. So that was an argument from authority. Because this nurse friend of hers, yeah. who you know yeah. may well know a lot about antibiotics, realistically, yeah. probably her experience is anecdotal. It's probably, if she does have particular yeah. experience of knowing whether antibiotics have been continued or stopped and whether people have recovered, is from seeing patients. And almost certainly yeah. she doesn't know whether those patients have had problems with bacterial resistance that's been caused by stopping courses of antibiotics and, and so on because mm. she doesn't she's not a molecular biologist she's not a research scientist she's a, a person in the medical profession but doesn't have precise knowledge of this i yeah. Yeah. wanting to be a critical thinker said that okay i'm not going to dismiss this new piece of information i will go away i'll look at it i'll be interested and i looked into it and it is very interesting and what i found was there was a an article in the british medical journal not a study not research just an article, an opinion piece that had been written by some doctors and some scientists uh, to say that yeah, um, yeah. actually the advice on finishing the course and the advice on the length of courses of antibiotics was based on mm-hmm. not a lot of data. It wasn't based on enough research. It was based on tradition. And the reason that it was tradition is because our prescribing guidelines for things like antibiotics are based back when they decided that you just needed to give lots so that it would be cured and they weren't worried about resistance because they didn't really understand it. And now that we understand yep. resistance, what yep. we want to do is minimise the amount of antibiotics use. And right. so to make sure yep. that we're giving us the right amount and not too much, we should be we should be testing and finding out what the right dose is that will do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It didn't yep. say people should decide for themselves when to stop or they should stop when they yes, feel exactly, better. Yeah. But all of the press, the Independent, the Guardian, the Mail and so on, all said, you know, everything you know about antibiotics is wrong. Doctors now say you should stop antibiotics when you feel yeah, better yeah, 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 and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which is yeah. not only wrong, yeah. it's dangerous because yeah. some things like tuberculosis and, and other things, if you stop the course too early, it does increase the likelihood that you're bacterial infection will yeah. grow resistant to those antibiotics and it's yeah the, that's not what the article said it, it said that you should that we should do more testing we should find out more so there is a there is a uh, a danger from the point of view of the appeal to authorities so the newspapers who are reporting on this stuff need to be responsible for which is they are an authority so if if the Guardian or the independent, you know, the broadsheet newspapers, even the and the Daily Mail, <laughs> um, if they report this stuff, their reporting comes with the weight of many years of respectable journalism yeah. being attributed to them, such that people will believe what they print. Yeah, and that. That authority is based on tradition as well, because um, mm. in back in the day, 
there were science reporters on newspapers who mm. did have mm. science degrees and who would, when they read a new science study, look into it. They would read the study. They would go back and decide, yep. you know, if they believed it based on the number of people in the study and things like that. Mm. And mm. and because newspapers are losing money uh, and have been for some time now, yep. they don't have science reporters much anymore and it will generally just be farmed out to a, a average workaday journalist who doesn't either have the time, the inclination or the expertise to yeah. really understand what they're writing about in some cases. And and also in the in the in these days of, you know, actual print newspapers going under and becoming online, you've got to do clickbaity headlines yeah. where people will click through, which means that you can uh, report to your advertisers that you had this many hits on your page and therefore this many people looked at your adverts. So you do more and more clickbaity headlines, not unlike Paloma Faith says, Theresa May is, is shit and ought to step down. So, you know, the reason I got onto that was because it came up in the Brexit. Some, you know, the, the, my feed sends me stuff about Brexit and that came up. <laughs> and you kind of go, oh, bloody hell, Theresa's, Theresa May is shit. She ought to step down. You click on it and you go, oh, it's Paloma Faith. <laughs> but you do, it, is, it is clickbait. So, and now that's yeah, another interesting and, thing is because... In some cases, we do look at it the other way and think, well, that person doesn't isn't an expert in this area, therefore they don't know mm. what they're talking about, therefore their opinion mm. is wrong. And again, that's not necessarily yep. the case. They might actually have a valid opinion yep. or a true opinion. It's not necessarily based on the kind of evidence that we want to base our opinions on, and therefore we shouldn't give it a lot of weight, but it doesn't mm. mean they're wrong. And in fact, mm. interestingly, yep. this opinion yep. piece in the British Medical Journal, it, they listed the authors and their credentials, and it was multiple authors, mm -hmm. and um, a lot of them had, you know, they were experts in microbiology or, or epidemiology and, and things like that. But one of the authors was listed as Cliff Gorton. And mm -hmm. in the footnotes of um, giving their, their credentials, he was a retired building surveyor. That's it. <laughs> right. Now, I have no idea what the hell... Right. Right. This person knows about <laughs> antibiotics, and there well, was no totally there was no attempt to explain why. They're attributed authority. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really odd that he was listed as an as a uh, an author of this this piece in the BMJ with with no other explanation of yeah. why anyone should listen to anything he wrote. I don't know what yeah. he did. Maybe what, he's a retired what, building surveyor, okay. and now he's a copywriter, and he helped them to kind of punch up the copy a bit and make it sound a bit more interesting after the scientists all put the science in. We don't know. There's no... So was there anything in the article particularly about buildings? No. Don't or the no. surveying of them? No. Oddly, it was, it was mostly antibiotics-based. Clue? Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> This is our final show of the year, so before we play fake news tonight, there's just time for a quick roundup of Trump's 2018. Mark? OK. It was a fucking dumpster fire. Thanks very much. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Now, this is usually the part of the show where I read out three Trump quotes <laughs> and get Mark to guess which one I made up. But yeah. it's the end of the year, you know, it's Christmas party season. Yeah. We like to play different games at, the, at Christmas time, and I thought I'd mix it up a bit, really. So, okay. inspired by Trump's appearance in the Christmas classic Home Alone 2, 
I thought I would ask you about other films that Trump has appeared in, in cameo roles. Oh, wow. So. Oh, very good. And the interesting thing is, according to Matt, no, was it Matt Damon, I think, who said that yeah. when he was making a film that was part, took part partly in a Trump property, the only way they were allowed to use right. the property was if they also filmed, a, they wrote a part for Trump in the film. Oh, my so, God, yeah. So they, they didn't necessarily have to include it in the final cut, but they had to to write a part, they had to film it, they had to waste and their time it. on set, yeah. you know, with like Al Pacino against, you know, talking <laughs> to Trump. And and that was how he got into yeah. it. So he's in quite a lot of films, actually. But <laughs> Oh, my God. So so I've got, we've got three rounds. Um, okay. So you've got the op- opportunity to, to gain quite a lot of points here. Uh, oh, and good. each round yeah. is right I'm going to give you three films and you have to tell me which one Trump did a cameo in. Okay? Okay. So, yeah. round one. Cool. Okay. Uh, was Trump in Two Weeks Notice, Three Men and a Baby, or Four Weddings and a Funeral? Wow. Ooh. Okay, a nice number theme there, by the way. <laughs> uh, Okay, uh, mm, which one out of the three? Yeah, he was, was in one of those films. Okay, wow. Oh, well, mm, uh, mm, I think probably, against all odds, no, not the film, I, I, get it, I think unexpectedly he would be in Four Weddings, so I think he was in Four Weddings and Funeral. I'm afraid not. No, he was in. No, <laughs> he was in two weeks' notice. The uh, Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock. Uh, oh, well, let's call it. A comedy. Oh, um, so I've got a, a clip of, wow. of Trump acting against Hugh yeah. Grant here. Wade, Trump, I hear Kelson finally dumped you. Not exactly. No, we just came to a mutual understanding that she couldn't bear me for another second. So there we go. It wasn't a big role. <laughs> wow! No, uh, but no. if ever you want to show that your your characters are kind of important and rich and, and live in yeah. New York, then Trump is a person that you insert and, into and your in film. in the in the nineties. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if yeah, if your characters are in the nineties, so do you think like the like series ten of Stranger Things, they will you know do it in a haunted Trump Tower where the the you know, the upside down. Actually, the king of the upside down would be Trump himself. Could be, yeah. But his hair kind of flopping away. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, how about that? And yeah, not only uh, yeah, see numbers and Hugh Grant there. Good theme. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Okay. Right. I've uh, I've got the measure of you now. Round Jim. two. Give me the next one. Round two yeah. is a TV round. So, did Trump appear in an episode of Fresh Pints of Bel Air, The Golden Girls, or Friends? Oh, oh, okay. Mm, uh, mm. So, well, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh, that'd be interesting. Mm. <sighs> yeah, well, because at the wrong side of the country for Trump, the Golden Girls, I think they would have found him kind of quite sexy. Uh, what was the last one? Friends. Friends. <sighs> oh, dear. I think probably to their eternal shame if he was in there. Ooh. I want it to be the Golden Girl, but I'm, I'm edging towards friends. But I think I think it's probably the Golden Girls. Okay. I'm afraid you're wrong again. 
my God, really? It's, right. it's, it was Friends. It wasn't it? Friends. No, it was it was the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So yeah, I did put Friends really? in there because I thought New York what? that might kind of swing you. But yeah, yeah, exactly. He, yeah, he did yeah. appear in an episode of Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air where no they were selling their house. He's got and Trump came in as a potential buyer. Yeah. So here's a clip. Ron said his client had a rich uncle, but uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> I like keeping a low profile. Yeah. So he, he, there was a little bit more to wow. it. Wow. Um, yeah. And in fact, his his wife at the time, I think it was probably Marla Maples, was was in it as well. They appeared okay. together. So. Bloody hell! Wow, <laughs> that's amazing, isn't it? Oh yeah. All right. So yeah. So you can like Will Smith refused to appear on screen with him. No, Will. Will went and shook his hand. He said. He said, "If you do buy the house and and you want someone to come and mow the lawn, if you chuck in an extra fifty grand, I'll come and do it for you." He is the kid that mows the lawn. Wow. Oh my god. Wow. Or the nerdy, the nerdy nephew. No, the nerdy cousin. Yeah, Carlton. Who was? Yeah, he was very excited. Yeah. Oh, exactly, um, yeah. These kind of yeah, Trump's his kind of people. Yeah, but yeah. it turned out that the story of the episode was that he wanted to buy it because uh, it was like his nephew had lived there as a child or something like that. But it turned out they'd got the address oh, okay. wrong and his nephew lived in a different house, so they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> but he ended up buying it anyway. Oh, he didn't. No. Oh, okay. No. All right. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my God! I'm gonna have to. I've so. got to go. The the horrible thing is you're gonna have to watch to that episode. Watch now. Yeah. I know. I yeah. know. It's appalling, isn't it? Oh. So. No, it'll be awful. Final round. Your last chance to gain a point. Okay. Okay. Was Trump in? White men can't jump. Can't buy me love. Right. Or ghosts can't do it. Ah. <sighs> Mm. White man can't jump. Well, it would be yeah. I could see him with Woody Harrelson. That would kind of work. Can't buy me love. Uh, mm. When was that set? That was set in the sixties. Uh, no, that was a um, John Cusack film, I think. No, no, it was Patrick Dempsey. Oh, okay. Patrick Dempsey was the okay. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Unrelated oh, yeah, to the yeah, Beatles, yeah. apart from the desperate. Stealing of the name. Two. Yeah, desperate. It was 1987. Yeah. And what was it? Last one was ghosts. Right. Ghosts can't do it. Ghost, goats can't do it. <laughs> ghosts can't do it. Well, you see, I'm, yeah, I'm tempted to go for the one that nobody's ever heard of. But I think it's, I want it to be white men can't jump. After I do, I'll, I just want it to be that. Because I want to hear Woody Harrelson talk to Talk to Trump. It isn't, is it? I've lost it again. I'm afraid it's the one that no one's ever heard of. It's Ghosts Can't Do It, which is a 1989 Bo Derek comedy um, about, oh, really? about a widow uh, yeah. who, I don't know, her husband dies. Who's Anthony Quinn is her husband. He dies and comes back as a ghost uh, and, and kind of... Right. Talks her through a business deal that involves Trump in some okay. for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> their, their interaction <laughs> includes this line. But be assured, Mrs. Scott, that in yeah. this room there are knives sharp enough to cut you to the bone, and hearts cold enough to eat yours as hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> so that, that's wow. Trump being a tough businessman there. 
Yeah, um, you could tell. And I, yeah. I, and I couldn't... Because his voice is slightly lower. I couldn't include a clip a of bit, Bo Derek because her acting is so bad, uh, it, it can't yeah, be recorded. Don't give her any lines. Yeah, so no. <laughs> it's weird. It's like, yeah, ghosts, ghosts can't be recorded, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, my word. Fact, what, what year was that? That was 1989. And, in fact, Trump won a Razzie. Um, right. A golden raspberry right. for his appearance in yeah. that film as worst actor. <laughs> but that which is saying something yeah. next to Bo Derek. Wow, well there you go. Bloody hell, he's been all over, isn't he? <laughs> I'm surprised why did they even keep it in there? Oh, That's the question, isn't it? it is, they Yeah. I mean you could Yeah, yeah. Well I guess the you know the the thing about Buying and selling property, yeah, in um, that kind of makes sense. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That's quite a good, quite a good. You know, from, I would have cut that from the entire series and <laughs> shot and shot a different one. But you know, that makes sense as part of the thing. But getting him back in a kind of really poor um, Patrick Swayze kind of knockoff of Ghost. Was there any? <laughs> was there any play involved in? in no, that it was. One? It was weird. No. <laughs> the whole thing that Anthony Quinn was married to Bo Derek was weird enough, but yeah, was, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. we've seen weirder, weirder things true. like Trump being married to Melania, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm going to treat well, those great. since you lost every single one of those. I'm going to be kind. Yeah. And I'm going to treat that as a single okay. loss because one overall. That's very loss. kind. So so that means you're yeah. down to twenty percent. Okay. <laughs> In your success rate in uh, in the fake news, so um, ah. next time podcast listeners will be back to fake Trump quotes, and I need your help to fool Mark. So if you think you can make up a convincing fake Trump quote, then share this episode on Twitter, include your quote and the hashtag fallacious Trump. I'll pick the best one, and you'll be podcast famous. So it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Christmas is Not a Logical Fallacy. Um, we like to talk about all of the crazy stuff <laughs> that's happened in in the last couple of weeks in the Trump orbit, and there's a lot. There's a lot of crazy stuff over oh Christmas. Oh, my God, there's so much. You know how they have a kind of a Friday news dump where, because no one's really talking yep. about stuff yep. on Friday evening, they put the big stories there. Well, they've done a holiday news dump yep. and just or every, lots of stuff has come right. out. But, but we're going to not talk about any of that stuff because <laughs> it's no. Christmas. No. We're going to talk about the war on Christmas. <laughs> the war on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Which is a totally real thing and not made up at all. <laughs> yeah. So Trump said, in fact, he's, he's said it a few times. He said in the campaign that uh, he would bring Christmas back and people would be saying Merry Christmas again if he was made president because obviously yeah. before that basically no one was saying merry yeah. christmas making making christmas merry again <laughs> yeah now that would be a good that would be a, why didn't i get a t-shirt with that this christmas <laughs> that would be great wouldn't it with yeah. trump in a kind of, of santa beard make christmas yellow merry. yeah kind of you know, so um yeah making christmas merry again and at last year's uh tree lighting ceremony he said that he had he he brought Christmas back to the White House. Merry, brought Merry Christmas back, actually, he said that. Kind of implying that the Obamas right. didn't say Merry Christmas, um, which they very much did. And <laughs> there's there's a few compilations yep. online of all the times, all the many times that people have found of the Obamas saying Merry Christmas. They also did yep. say Happy Holidays, because that is a recognition that Christmas isn't the only thing that exists. <laughs> and there's also yeah, yeah, Hanukkah yeah. and Kwanzaa <laughs> and other things. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And New Year, for that matter, which is included yeah. in the kind of the holiday season. Yeah, it hasn't been very consistent. Yeah. The, the other members of the Trump family, uh, Ivanka Trump last year, put out a tweet saying happy holidays, which probably people didn't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, the interesting thing is that this month there's been a, uh, a poll by Morning Consult who have asked people what they actually think about people saying Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and if yeah. if they care, basically. So they asked the question, yeah. if a store or business used the term Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas, would that make you more or less likely to shop there or would it make no difference either way? Right. And what they found was for all, all adults, just generally across the board, if people say Merry Christmas, that, that makes 42% of people more likely to shop there. It makes no difference to 49% of people um, and right. it makes it less likely to, I think, about 2% of people. Um, right. And if but if they say happy holidays, that actually makes 22% yeah. of people more likely to shop there. It makes it 56% oh, okay. of people don't care at all and 14% of people are less yeah. likely to shop there. So it's not that massive. It's not that big a deal. No. Um, but the interesting Actually, more more people don't care at all. Yeah, loads of people. But basically, the, the, the majority yeah. of people don't care overall what people say. But it does it does break down across party lines quite quite interestingly um, because oh, okay. yeah, the yeah. Democrats five yeah. percent of people are less likely to shop in a, a shop that says Merry Christmas, and six percent are less yeah. likely to shop in a shop that says Happy Holidays. Yeah. Whereas for Republicans, okay. it's yeah. it's one percent who say they would be less, and I can't understand this at all, they'd be less likely to shop in a shop that says Merry Christmas, even though they're Republican. Right. But they're 20% less likely. 20% 20 (laughs) of them are less likely to shop in a a shop that says Happy Holidays. Even then, that's 80% of people who who don't give a fuck, doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Even in the Republican Party. And actually, looking at the makes no difference bit, for Republicans, 36% say that Merry Christmas makes no difference. 48, 48% say happy holidays makes no difference. Yeah. So, yeah, 80% of people, including more people than if they if said Merry Christmas, give a shit yeah. about whether they say happy holidays. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, so it's a completely made-up thing. It is completely made up. The, and it was the, the thing is it came from the early 2000s. Um, between 2000 and 2003, oh, okay. as recent as talk that, show, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, no, to be yeah. fair, there is a history of it. There are there are people who who okay. were saying even back in the like forties and fifties, oh, you know, you you okay. as soon as they saw something that didn't say Merry Christmas, they they were saying, oh, yeah. you don't see Merry Christmas anywhere anymore. Um, but it really became a thing in the Republican yeah, yeah, Party yeah. with talk show hosts, conservative talk show hosts uh, like Bill O'Reilly um, in 2003, particularly. Good night, Alfred. Bill O'Reilly and yeah. Bill Donoghue in the uh, right. the Catholic yeah. League, he started talking about how you don't see Christmas anymore and how how Christmas in schools was being censored because they put up things that acknowledged cultural traditions other than Christianity or sang Frosty the Snowman instead of Silent Night, but as well as well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's the thing yeah. is is yeah. It, when you're used to yeah. being in charge, any any yeah. concession to anyone else is oppressive. To you, <laughs> that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. It's it's when you being attacked. When you're a white supremacist, yeah, 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 you're having to concede, you know, two percent or something. Yeah. 
just then accepting that's that other people exist down and your have empire, the right to their opinion is is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, in two thousand and three, yeah. O'Reilly jumped on board and uh, started talking about he how Christmas is taking flack. It said he he said in in two thousand three he said. Um, in Denver this past weekend, no religious floats were permitted in the holiday parade, parade there. In New York City, Mayor Bloomberg unveiled the holiday tree and no Christian Christmas symbols were allowed in the public schools. In, May, in Macy's, they've done away with Christmas greeting Merry Christmas. Um, and yeah, in Macy's, they did start saying Happy Holidays that year because, again, they were trying to be inclusive. They were trying to say, yeah. it's, you know, yeah. they're not not celebrating Christmas. And if you go yeah, to yeah. Macy's, if you went to Macy's in 2003, they had Christmas decorations and including religious ones and Merry Christmas on yeah. things. They just generally told their staff to well, say happy they're holidays. kind of thinking, well, you know, New York's going to be filled with uh, Catholics, non-Catholics, yeah. non-Christians, and we're a shop trying to sell stuff. There was an incident in 2005 when in yeah. Walmart a woman complained that they were saying right. happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And so a, right. an employee... One, one woman. Yeah. yeah. And so a, a Walmart um, customer service employee emailed her to say, yeah. the majority of the world still has different practices other than Christmas, which is an ancient <laughs> tradition that has yeah. its roots in Siberian shamanism. Santa is borrowed from the yeah. Caucasus, mistletoe from the Celts, Yule log from the Goths, and this uh, the time from the Visigoth, yeah. and the tree from the worship of Baal. <laughs> so that yeah. that employee yeah. was fired <laughs> from Walmart. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> but but not immediately. Yeah. That must have just that must have happened after somebody complained. Yeah, well, Bill Donahue of the Catholic so, yeah, League so, complained. Oh, he called okay, it discrimination right. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, practiced by cultural fascists, and he called for a bo- boycott of Walmart. And um, okay, and, and so and what he's espousing isn't cultural fascism. No, no, at all. of course not. No, no. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, so no. so Walmart apologized. They they said that their their greeters should say Merry Christmas again and they fired the employee. But why? Involved. Well mainly cuz Bill Donoghue yeah, cause is why not? an argument for from authority <laughs> and was saying, you know, given my authority, I'm going to get everybody to boycott Walmart and Walmart are going shit nobody's going to buy anything. <laughs> Let's fire the guy. But even in <laughs> 2005 um, Gallup did a poll, and forty-one percent of people said they preferred to hear "Happy Holidays." Fifty-six um, percent said oh. they'd rather hear "Merry Christmas," but it's still pretty, pretty close. It's not that far off. Yeah, Bill O'Reilly was keeping on saying this uh, for several years, but by the kind of late two thousands, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, he was claiming that he'd won basically the war on Christmas, and and that Macy's were saying "Happy Christ- oh. uh, Merry Christmas" again, and and all of the main stores they all had it on, but it hasn't all stopped anyone else. World. Every single year, it hasn't stopped Fox from from saying any time that you know there's a um, a school nativity scene that yeah. is is it has to include a, a snowman. That that that's yeah. that's an attack on Christianity, or because of somebody putting you know happy happy Xmas instead of Merry Christmas. Yeah, is it what the hell? You know, it's, that's the that's the counter argument, isn't it? Yeah, the the, the Xmas one is interesting because because the X in Xmas comes from the Greek initial for Christ, and oh, and wow. so it is a a, a traditional um, shortening of Christmas. Um, but but Christians can't decide whether it's trivialising yeah. Christmas and therefore bad 
Um, and then, right. and then, if any people who use Xmas say, "Well, no, this is actually this is a completely valid Christian tradition," then they say, "Yeah, but you, that's not how you yeah. meant it." <laughs> you know, I don't believe that all the people who are saying uh-huh. Xmas yeah. know that, so therefore, it's negative. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's it doesn't. Uh, so that's a, there's a there's moving the goalposts <laughs> going on. Oh yeah, yeah. What? Oh, I always thought it was just kind of shorthand for cross. Yeah, Christmas. You know, merry merry no, Christmas. Christmas. No, it comes from yeah. the uh, the. Oh, right. Wow. Learn something. Cool. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Trump shut down the federal government for the third time this year, just before Christmas, presumably based on the assumption that the Mueller investigation will have to stop while the shutdown's in effect. He seems pretty happy to take the credit for the 800,000 federal workers going without pay over Christmas, telling Chuck Schumer earlier in the month that he was proud to shut down the government, claiming many federal workers are telling him they want him to hold out and not pay them, and boasting on Twitter that it's mostly Democrats who aren't getting paid anyway. (laughs) The most altruistic charity in the history of charities, which is probably a trademark, the Trump Foundation, is no more. The New York State Attorney General signed a stipulation dissolving the Trump Foundation and argues that the individual Trumps failed to ever hold a board meeting or take board minutes, didn't review foundation assets, liabilities, revenues and disbursements and neglected to oversee the foundation and or supervise accounting staff. Most damning of all for the president, he solicited funds directly for the foundation, then gave his presidential campaign control over those funds, which it then used to attempt to influence the election. As the Barbara Underwood version of the good book says, and now abideth faith, hope and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is justice. (laughs) For the first time in his presidency... Trump visited US troops overseas on Christmas Day as he and Melania took an unannounced trip to Iraq. After accidentally revealing the classified whereabouts of covert special ops unit SEAL Team 5, Trump went on to brag about how he personally arranged the military's recent huge pay rise. Is anybody here willing to give up the big pay raise you just got? Raise your hand, please. Ah, I don't see too many hands. Okay. Don't give it up. It's great. You know what? Nobody deserves it more. You haven't gotten one in more than 10 years. More than 10 years. And we got you a big one. I got you a big one. I got you a big one. They had plenty of people that came up. They said, you know, we could make it smaller. We could make it 3%. We could make it 2%. We could make it 4%. I said, no. Make it 10%. Make it more than 10%. Because it's been a long time. It's been more than 10 years. So, Mark, Trump said yep. the raise has, is more than 10%. He said, make it more than 10%. I got a huge pay raise. How much more than 10% do you think the military raise for this year is? 0.1? It's, it's actually a bit less than 10%. It's, uh, it's 2.6%. More than 10%? No, 2.6%. Oh, so it, what? It's, so, it's not 10%. Uh-huh. So it isn't more than 10%. It's not, it's not 3, oh, it's not I 4. It was going to be... It's 2.6%. It's 26 <laughs> Yeah. It's not more than 10 No. And I thought it was going to be 10.1%. <laughs> and Trump it's says... It's not even that. It's not, it's 2.6%. Yeah. And Trump says that it's been more than 10 years yeah. since they've had a pay raise. How long do you think it's been? Okay, since they had a pay yeah. raise. Probably a year. Yeah, last year they had a pay raise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was about the same. It was about two point four percent last year, okay. and 
Uh, and yeah. he did not get them the big, massive 2.6% pay raise. No. Yeah, military pay raises are tied to increases in private sector wages. They are, they're calculated by yeah. the Department of Labour. They haven't done anything about getting them. No. So he's completely so, just lying. So it's just gone up the by apartment. the cost of living, basically. Yeah. yeah. So. And they bought it. Yeah. They bought it. The whole room just went, yay! <laughs> You're great! Yeah! <laughs> what? What? There's, a, there's one kid at the front, you know, going, uh, no, the emperor's not wearing any clothes. <laughs> Can you not see that? Yeah. Can you not see this big lumpy orange guy is stark bollock naked? He's, you know, he's... he's t- what are you doing? Can you not see through this <laughs> tissue of lies? What the hell? How is he going to get away with that? Yeah. As, He'll do something else and no one will care. You don't stand in a room with people who are armed <laughs> to the teeth and lie to them like that. Yeah, yeah. No way. Do you think these guys who get a paycheck every year, every month, they get a pay slip because they've got to fill in their tax return, mm-hmm. so they have to get some paperwork that backs that up so that they can tell the tax man, this is what I earned every year that happens. Well, I tell you what. It's lucky that because the government is shut down, there are no IRS people watching. Yeah. Uh, ah, there you go. So, so they're, so they're they probably go, Ah, good. Yeah. So he's not as stupid as he looks, or I didn't think he could be as stupid as he looks. So he knows full well that actually I can get away with saying this shit because <laughs> nobody's listening. No one's going to record it. Yeah. I've just turned up unannounced. Yeah, it's not like nobody's going to be here. TV. And anyone no. checks it. Oh, no, 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 nobody's ever seen that. No. no, no. What the hell? This past weekend, Trump administration ghoul and noted bald person Stephen Miller appeared on Face the Nation to talk about some presumably pretty racist stuff and show off a fancy new zombie hairline. And because nobody ever watches his appearances with the sound up, no one failed to notice that he looked like he'd been inserted inside that magnetic iron filings facial hair toy, Wooly Willy. Actually, the pubic head triangle was the only alive looking thing in his chair. Have you seen it? It's got it's, oh, it's just amazing. horrible. It is and it's completely the wrong colour. It's a fabulous looking small patch of hair. The rest of it is awful and lank and a different colour. I've heard a rumour think... that it's possible yeah. that, that the the makeup person, the person kind of who was getting him ready for his appearance on the show, right. didn't like him. Because if they did, they would have did done a much liberally. better job. And and perhaps it's someone who was a Democrat or someone who oh, was like, that's maybe just not a Nazi. And yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they didn't make any attempt oh, at all brilliant. to kind of blend it into his no? existing hair. It was just kind of no. a lump of fake hair on top of his head. It moves it forward, you know, in a kind of, you know, Dracula-esque Widow's Peak way. Yeah. Which, and he's never had that. It's not even, like, a bit thin. So if you shone a lot of strong light from above, it would you would see the scalp shining. It's just a whole big bunch of hair. You know, Bo Derek would be proud of that pubic triangle <laughs> on his head. Guarantee it. Uh, um, another in the happy family set of dictators, that nice Turkish Mr Erdogan, told Donald on the phone that he's got ISIS covered now in Syria. So why is Trump's army still there? Righto, said Donald. Let's go, boys. No correlation, of course, with the fact that the State Department later said it had approved the sale of Patriot ground-to-air missiles in Turkey. 
Even in the face of committing this so-called Obama-like mistake, a senior administration official said it was the president's decision to make and he made it. He gets to do that. That's his prerogative. How many times do we have to spell it out? Just because you're in charge doesn't mean you're right. Exactly. London-based eco-friendly construction company EnviroBuild, who feel very strongly that everyone should do everything they can to leave the world in a better way than they found it, bid $25,000 for the right to name a newly found type of Panamanian amphibian, the Sicilian. Sicilians are tropical amphibians that look like large worms or slick snakes. Sometimes it's hard to tell which end is the head and which is the tail or arse, if you will. Their shiny skin is ringed with drooping skin folds, very pleasingly called anally. It is a vulnerable creature at risk as a result of the US government's current position on climate change. So they have called it Dermaphis Donald Trumpi. Yeah, a a short-sighted, slimy, worm-like creature. Excellent. Exactly, with droopy, drooping <laughs> skin folds. And actually, what it does is eats its own skin. Yeah, in fact, its children are parasites, aren't they? Because it they eat its skin as well to 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 get ahead in life. Works on so many levels. Works as it shoves it <laughs> into the faces of its offspring. <laughs> In order to in order to give them cushy jobs in the White House. Oh, oh no! Wait a minute. No. All Michael Flynn had to do last week was go into the courtroom and accept a light sentence with possibly no jail time, which both his lawyers and Mueller's team had agreed to based on his cooperation as a witness. But of course, he had to spend a couple of days beforehand saying the FBI had entrapped him, talked to him without his lawyer present, and the mean old agents hadn't told him it was illegal to lie to the FBI. Judge Emmett Sullivan wasn't happy, so he asked Flynn if he had in fact been entrapped. Flynn's lawyer said no. Sullivan asked if Flynn did in fact know that lying to the FBI was a crime. Flynn said yes. Mm -hmm. And Sullivan asked if Flynn wanted to recant his guilty plea. Flynn said no. So Sullivan basically told him to go away and think about how he could be more helpful. (laughs) He offered to sentence Flynn there and then, but said he couldn't promise there wouldn't be jail time and pointed out that Flynn had basically sold out his country. The sentencing has been postponed. (laughs) (laughs) I love that bit. You kind of, you can almost see Flynn standing there going, well, there were no signs up (laughs) at the FBI saying, you know, lying is prohibited. No running, no heavy petting, no lying to the the FBI. There's no signs up. Yeah. How could you, how could you just not know that? I had no idea that that was the case. To the FBI. Yeah, how could the, the, the nation's senior security advisor be expected to know mm. that you're not allowed to lie to a federal official? I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah, of all, of all organisations. Yeah. that Yeah, exactly. Fit-for-service, draft-dodging, military-service jacket-wearing man-chickens. His family owned the building in Jamaica, Queens, where podiatrist Larry Braunstein had his surgical office. Following a letter he wrote confirming that Donald had the feet skeletons of Foghorn Leghorn, Bronstein's daughter said her father received preferential treatment from his landlord. If there was anything wrong in the building, my dad would call and Trump would take care of it immediately. That was the small favour that he got. Seems that back in the day, being the godfather, who after all was a Sicilian, a tenement janitor and a cartoon Rhode Island Red was all part of a day's work for the apprentice liar-in-chief. I found this clip of Foghorn Leghorn, which is completely brilliantly apposite. He's so dumb, he thinks a Mexican border pays rent. (laughs) (laughs) 
How about that? Very good. Because he doesn't understand how to be a normal human, Trump shouldn't talk to children. On Christmas Eve, a seven-year-old kid called NORAD, the government organisation that helps kids track Santa when they're not detecting incoming missiles. As a fun publicity stunt, the kid was put through to the White House to talk to Trump, who proceeded to ask the kid if she still believed in Santa, following this up by saying, because it's seven, it's kind of marginal, right? Look, you can put kids in cages, <laughs> take health care away from millions of Americans and threaten nuclear-capable dictators with itchy trigger fingers, but never question a seven-year-old's belief in Santa. In what must be the most perfectly executed backhanded insult, because you have the right to have a Secretary of Defence whose views are better aligned with yours, I believe it's right for me to step down for my position. Jim Mattis joined recent escaping adults John Kelly and Rex Tillerson in an exact reversal of the Christmas story. The three wise men have gazed upon the mewling, puking, swaddled Satsuma man-baby, taken their gifts and hightailed it from the West Wing, in the sure and certain knowledge that no one will have any faith in it, even if it ever grows up. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this year. If you hear Trump say something stupid and wonder if it's a fantasy, find us on Twitter at fallaciousTrump or email us on pod at fallaciousTrump.com. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash ftrump. You can connect with us and with other listeners in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallaciousTrump, where we'll post some links to some of the stuff we've talked about. All music is by the outbursts and would used with permission. So until next time and next year on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last Christmassy word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>